Radio Primavera Sound, powered by SEAT. Welcome to the Weekly Review, the radio show where two adults try to understand how the world works by paying attention to what their young'uns get up to in pop culture. To help Ben Cardew and myself, Johan Wald, not lose our way in the wilderness, we have Marvai Verdu. This week, Tom York has us thinking about artistic collaborations that can transcend an original purpose. Some of us are very excited to hear about the Gossip Girl reboot, which Mar brings us today. I watched a movie called Knives and Skin on filming, which got me thinking about effectism, and it is... It happens to be soundtracked by Nick Zinner, who will be playing next year's Primavera Sound with his legendary band Yeah Yeah Yes. And our album of the week is Emma Jean Thackeray's magnificent debut, Yellow, the album that could still save the summer of 2021. This week we celebrate Yellow, the debut album from composer, producer, multi-instrumentalist, singer, bandleader and DJ Emma Jean Thackeray. Thank you, Ben, for proposing this. This album makes me feel so good from start to finish. I feel like it... I, I always say this, but I'm going to say it is the best debut album of the year so far. Can you let me get away with that, Mar? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking which ones have we reviewed and my memory is failing me, so let's go with that. Yeah, this one's the best. <laughs> Bring us the down low, Ben. Who is Emma Jean Thackeray? Where did she come from? Well, look, I am so, so glad that, that you enjoyed this so much because it's one of these albums that kind of popped up and I gave it a listen to a couple of times and I thought, actually, you know, this is, this is, this is like really nice. I really, really enjoy this album. But then when you sort of said like, that you were really loving it. I was like, I went back to it a few more times. Like, oh, actually, this is a hell of 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 a good album, and there's there's so much to it. Okay, so she is uh, a British trumpet player and composer. Uh, she is from Yorkshire, up in the north of Scotland. She loves she loves Leeds, right? Uh, yeah, Leeds yeah, is in Yorkshire. I just said north of Scotland, north of England. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, she's she very accomplished musician. Um, played with all, with all kinds of people. Um, and yeah, she's just made this album which sounds somewhere like a mixture between like Sun Ra and Roy Ayres and maybe a little bit of Frank Ocean and LA and Sunshine and Weird Jazz and Alice Coltrane. And it was so much not what I what I was expecting. Like it just sort of popped up and I was like, oh wow, this is really, really, really good. And I love things that are not what you're expecting. And also, right, that I've got a line on this album. Can, can I do it? Yes. <laughs> that this is one of the least useful albums you will ever listen to. You know how like you get yeah. so oh my you're looking at me very strange. We're <laughs> I'm, wearing I'm a... trying to understand. Okay, yeah. go on. I know he means it in a positive way, but I can't find the angle. <laughs> Okay, well, you know how you get a lot of music um, these days that's like, oh, music for the gym, music for your, your, your workout, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And that's very useful music, because it's like, okay, well, I am going to the gym, so I'll stick on, on, on this, like, gym workout thing, basically. Yeah. Well, like, this isn't useful, because you cannot listen 
to it while you're doing anything else. It is impossible. I've tried to listen to it while doing anything, and you literally cannot. Because it, it, it just takes your mind, and like you just like go, whoa, and you sort of drift off into some yeah. other weird, weird place. I mean, you can just about listen to it. I've done research. You can just about listen to it if you're walking around. Yeah. But like, at the same time, your pace kind of like starts going all weird because you're just like, whoa, this is really fast, really slow, and now it's like this big, this big jam. So it's totally unfunctional, and I love that because, like, as I say, try to stick this on a place you can't. And this, uh, you know, I've got nothing against useful music, but this is totally unuseful totally unfunctional and that is why I love it that's one of the reasons why I love it one thing I thought this morning as I was cradling my baby daughter is like I really want to get a driver's license once and for all <laughs> to listen to this album and teach my uh, and let my daughter enjoy it as we're driving to places to school or whatever imagine in the morning you know when they've got bad moods well parents and kids <laughs> this is a total mood lifter and I was thinking this because I read a little interview where uh, some interview where Emma Jean Thackeray was talking about how her father would put her on to all this music uh, and you know like the, the jazz greats people like Roy Ayers like you were mentioning and then I thought that's that's a really important bond no like how do I introduce music to my daughter in a way that it'll make her want to pick up an instrument and become uh, and end up working with the London Symphony which Incidentally, it also plays on my other album of the year, which is Floating Points and Pharaoh Sanders' album. Is it Promises? Yeah. Um, so it's that's that's the that's what it's that's what it's for. This album, it's the album that's going to make me finally get my driver's license. <laughs> Hang on, but like, can you imagine driving to this? I, I, I sort of like moments like like this song we're listening to. I can, but there are other moments which are just like weird jams. You'd crash. You'd be like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah. what's, what's going on? Where's that tuba coming from? <laughs> like, it's all gone psychedelic. You would crash. And it reminds me, I used to listen to a lot of this style of uh, electronic acid jazz, neo soul, whatever, um, back in my, in my years in Madrid at the, at the end of the 90s, when loads of German labels like Compost or the band Jazzanova, they were super popular at the time and they started sounding everywhere because it was music that, for better or for worse, was ideal music for restaurants and cafes because it's great background music it gets you in a good mood as you say uh, without just you don't even have to make an effort all of a sudden it's like I feel so much better because all these horns and synths are playing and I remember we listened to loads there were so many compilations and uh, Rainer Truby Trio and uh, I don't know there was just so many of those bands for a moment we kind of overdid it a little bit we were all DJing at the time and we were all playing the same compilations or taking music from this was before we had uh, Napsters and and you know Beatport and stuff like that so we'd go to shops like Ama Records which were the kind of mm, patron saints of this style of of rare grooves you know they they were very Gilles Peterson approved Gilles or Giles uh, Giles or Gilles if you're Gilles that's it we've had this argument so many times <laughs> it's Gilles Peterson because he was I think his parents are Swiss, uh, Swiss but he's he's called himself Giles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, apologies <laughs> if I'm wrong on that. Gilles. Giles. <laughs> so it's it's very Gilles Peterson approved, isn't it? But it's like I loved all that music you're talking about, all the like compost record stuff. But I just think this is better than all of that. I think that's that's the kind of the, the standard it is because it's like those there was some brilliant music releasing that kind of thing, but like. Would you get kind of like big anthems? Would you get like big freakouts? Would you get kind of free jazz? Not so much. It tends to be a little, little bit more, more controlled. And this is just all over the flipping place. Let me give you an example, if I may. Venus, one of my very favourite songs on the album. It's like a broken beat number, but it's in five four. 
which is like a really unusual um, time signature for any kind of beat to be in. Um, and But you don't notice it because it's so brilliantly done. And also, can I tell you another thing I really love? There's like loads of tuba and brass and stuff like that, yeah. you know, which is like quite an un- unsexy strand of instrumentation, isn't well, it, it, normally? It, it used to be, but now... You know, we've seen the saxophone creep back into pop culture and now it's super cool. People from Rostam and everyone's using saxophone. Uh, Maybe it's time for the tuba. (laughs) I think so, the French horn or the bassoon, all all, all all of those. The horns in general, people are getting horny (laughs) in the way of... uh, (laughs) Oh, God. Artists are getting horny in the musical sense of the word. But let me put it this way, right, okay. Sub bass is a really big thing, okay, uh-huh. um, in a lot of types of music, you know, even most pop music, right? But why, instead of sub bass, why not stick a tuba in and give it like some proper tuba sub bass? <laughs> Mark, do do the kids like tubas? Um, I <laughs> what a question. I I guess I, we do, but I wanted to say um, that tubas in or out, <laughs> French horn, gong. <laughs> I wanted to say that in this album, um, the songs that I listened to um, made me pay attention to the production part of it, which is something I never do because I I don't know anything about it and I appreciate it in the way that I can, which is bare bare minimum. But in this case, I don't know, I, I felt like there was lots of, I don't know, layers or effort or thought behind it and it was the first time that I, I caught myself thinking like wow the, I can feel the work behind this song mm. or whatever and and it's the first and only time I've ever thought that because I, I only think oh this makes me want to dance or this makes me want to cry or this <laughs> makes me want to whatever but in this case I, I was focused on on the production of, of a song and I, I was like who am I I don't know anything about this like what am I doing but but here I am Emma I'm discovering a hidden part of me but the thing is that you, you, I think you can hear the work in it but it doesn't overwhelm you like no I ha- yeah. in, a, in a good sense because if it overwhelms me it makes me want to turn off the music but it yeah. this made me curious made me want to I don't know learn about music and, and, and that doesn't happen many times Who's, who's the most cosmic of all of us three? I was trying to work this out. Cosmic? Yeah, because oh. it's a very cosmic album. Yeah. I, I think I'm not particularly cosmic, although I enjoy this album. Who's Maybe most... because you wouldn't be like the obvious answer, you're the one that's most cosmic. Hang on, you believe in witch talk? <laughs> yes. <laughs> true, true. But that makes me less cosmic then, because it's too obvious. It okay. has to be somewhere. Yeah, but your your trail of mind, your mind trails off into the cosmos quite a bit. That's how you're able to dig so far deep into the the, the, the depths of internet. Yeah, you've got a cosmic mind. You're cosmic. Not like okay. Jamiroquai would sing. You're just a cosmic girl. I've been listening to him ever since I said I didn't know him and, and my dad punished me. <laughs> what? That. Is your dad a Jamiroquai? No, but my dad knew about him because... I, he's very famous now, I know. But he said, like, how can you go say in public that you don't know who he is and blah, blah, blah. But like, oh, so I'm he scolded sorry. you for that, but he didn't scold you for that thing you were saying about cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. Priorities. I, t- I tell you what, right, this is a personal recommendation for your dad. Mm-hmm. Stop listening to Jamiroquai, listen to Emma Jean Thackeray instead. Because exactly. she's about a million, billion times better. She's like, if, if, if uh, Jamiroquai had been drawn into a black hole... 
and all his atoms are being torn apart and then being sucked into like some kind of unknown astrological phenomenon being put back together. That's, that's And what's uh, better than that? I, that's a, an amazing description and she's all that. So <sighs> it's a good review. It's that three, three thumbs up. Yes. It is. Okay. Should we have a listen to uh, a little bit of another song? This is just a little touch of Emmajean Thackeray with Spectre. There's a spectre in my house. He doesn't see me. There's a spectre in my house. But he doesn't see me. Wonderful. Emma Jean Thackeray. Remember her name. Make sure if you see her touring eventually, uh, that, that must be amazing to see live and obviously to keep listening to her music. Another thing that some of us have enjoyed, <laughs> some others haven't so much. Tom York has uploaded a slowed down rendition of the song that broke out his little known band Radiohead 29 years ago, leading them onto a global path of world weary, world weary, desolate, moody rock songs that became glitchy and filled stadiums. This version was commissioned for a fashion show by his Japanese designer friend Jun Takahashi's Undercover Fall 2021 collection. Now, Tom York has a history of soundtracking runway shows. Apparently in 2016, he contributed an original song called Colored Candy to Rag and Bone's 2017 Spring Summer Showcase. Years prior, he contributed the songs Stuck Together and Twist for another one of the fashion label shows. The latter song would go on to be included on the tracklist for his solo album Anima in 2019. Anyway, uh, but let's talk about this slowed down version of Creep Ben. Look, <laughs> give it to us. Look, Tom York is brilliant. Radiohead are brilliant. They're global idols, massively respected, etc. But this is god awful. This is one of the worst things I've ever heard in history. It's just terrible. Um, and I think a lot of people are pretending it aren't. It isn't terrible when it really, genuinely is. Okay, Creep is a lovely pop song, right? But didn't Do you agree? didn't you hate it? As much as they did for, you know, when it became a, a, a slacker anthem back in the mid-90s, everyone was expecting that. No, I, 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 all right, I got sick of it, as did Radiohead. And then they went kind of full circle. They started playing it again. And everyone yeah. was like, actually, no, this is a really, really great song. Because, it is. you know, as they started to have like loads of hit albums and stuff, they, you know, it's like, oh, it's not all about creep. So we, we can play creep. But the thing about it, it it's, it's like, it, it's a pop song, right? And it goes along at a pace. It's not like particularly faster it's not particularly clever it's just a very very well written pop song right and it's quite it's it's profound in its own way okay and mm -hmm. it provokes emotions yes i can't stand it when people slow their songs down so much because it's almost like look i'm gonna go really profound now by taking this perfectly good pop song you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna slow it down it's like i don't care like because we've talked about this before slow down anything enough and it sounds like epic and glacial yeah. like slow down uh girlfriend by justin bieber enough and it will sound epic and glacial people yeah. have actually done this kind of thing it will sound like Sigur Ross essentially well, they call them drag mixes also known as chopped and screwed right it's well chopped thing. and screwed was the original like hip-hop person that did it dj screwed who did these like really slow like um slow down versions of, of hip-hop tunes and 
he invented it because you know he was drinking <laughs> cough syrup at the time and yeah. it sounded a lot better and like that's that's great because it's like I don't think they're going for like profundity necessarily mm-hmm. it, was, yeah, it was just like okay this is a different way to listen to hip hop that happens to fit with my with my state of mind but what I'm talking about is there's this real like plague of, of, of problems with like bands who are like look I'm going to take this like pop song right and like you might think it's just a pop song but I'm going to slow it down and you're going to see it's like really profound so like, you didn't need to do that like it was a perfectly good pop song the fact that it was quick didn't mean that it was rubbish and like Creep just so didn't need this to happen it's not even good it's like it's like why why take your perfect four minute pop song and make it nine minutes long it's just it's just disgraceful. also the other thing is again i, I don't know the work of june uh, takahashi i mean i'm it may be really good but the idea of like someone walking down a catwalk the slow down version of creeping some repurposed bin bag makes me want to vomit <laughs> but you're saying as if there is a lot of other examples of artists remixing their own music and making it super slow and I well I don't know which cases are we talking about no I don't mean artists remixing their own music but like okay in in, god this is going back a bit but in the UK have you heard of like the live lounge Uh, it's it's, it's a thing they used to have on Radio 1 or maybe they still do actually where people like you know bands come in to play but they'll cover other people's songs yes they'll cover other other people's songs but quite often you get what happens then it's like you get people who like you know they'll, they'll just choose to cover like a um a, a modern pop song and quite mm-hmm. often the way they do it is by slowing it down ah. yeah but yeah yes. and it's like feel the emotion look it's by Britney but look I've, I've slowed, I've slowed yeah, it down toxic. like I think I think Travis did like uh, hit me baby one more time hang on yeah. I can't remember who and Travis Scott Tra- no <laughs> Travis the, 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 the cheap Coldplay Oh, okay. At the time when Coldplay became big, there was loads of these bands that were like sad and mopey uh, and had an acoustic guitar at the front, but they posed as a rock band and they filled stadiums. Uh, Travis, Tra- Star Sailor. You don't know Travis? Travis. Travis, as in Travis Scott, oh, but without no, the look at you now, flowers out the window. <laughs> and, 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 it sounds like every other song. It, oh, <laughs> it, it, this was a very yeah, dark. You've hit, you've hit key Travis. Uh, point. No, they did a cover of Baby One More Time for VH1 Storytellers, right? And uh, yeah, they they made it put on acoustic guitar, and they made it slow, and it's like oh god. But my point, and I'm gonna defend creep version slow down a thousand percent. It's kind of it's different from um, making an acoustic version of yeah. a pop song or this a ukulele like, version. That's what exactly. I hate. The the, u- the cheesy yeah. ukulele version that that should have died ten years yeah. ago, and it still happens. That's especially thanks what to they say in in the internet, chuggy. It's kind of like cringy, tacky. Um, no, we don't want that. But slowing down to a point where you cannot enjoy anymore the song, <laughs> it's kind of uh, camp. Like just doing it, which hmm. you know it's not enjoyable. Like you have ears, but you you decide just to go to the extreme, just to do something like a Hang performance. On. This is your big recommendation. It's not enjoyable. <laughs> it's deliberately not enjoyable. Exactly, and to me that's brave. Like go out and do that because it's not like you just covered your own song on a guitar, making it a little bit more. Well, no. it was already sad, but uh, sadder. It's just making it extreme in a sense. No, I mean, do you know what would be brave? Would be teaming up with the Benga Boys to do a remix. 
Like super fast. Oh, you don't know who the Venga boys are either, do you? Venga oh boys. My God. The, which one was Venga boys? We're going to. Boom, 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 are you going to fire me after this episode? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Bouncy okay, Euro, yes. Euro dance techno. Yes, but this, as you said, like a few episodes ago, maybe, oh <laughs> maybe this. I have a lot of memories suddenly. Um, maybe this will die sooner because everyone's doing hyper pop. Everyone's super into this um, yeah. music, which is super cool. But if you do the other like if you go the other way and you make something that it's totally against what's popular now and you make your good song very bad it's mm. very much brave because it, it wouldn't be so out of the box to make creep hyper pop it wouldn't be it would be expected in a sense like yeah. okay um it's what's good now but if you just make it bad on purpose it's like okay i guess this is performance art i don't know well, I'm totally, I'm totally with you. <laughs> apart from like, the fact that you say it's bad. No, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. That you, you say it's bad. But like for me, bad equals bad, not bad equals good. Mm, that, uh, oh sometimes something is so is bad like, it's good. Exactly, like a circle. You just take exactly. the full circle around, and then you end up. It's so bad. In, it's good. It's so bad. It's interesting. <laughs> exactly. At least, it, at least. or it, it transcends, or it, yeah. it, it, it goes. And that's that's one thing that got me thinking about this whole thing of you know Tom York. He doesn't really take out time to do just anything if he releases something it, it he's serious about it uh and we, we we haven't even gone into the thing of this new band he started with johnny greenwood and nigel godrick so it's basically radiohead 2 without colin and and oh. ed and 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 phil sorry can i just say one more thing about creep yes <laughs> it's by tom york featuring radiohead it's like, come on. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's by Tom That's York how it's credited. I think so. I'm pretty sure, Now, yeah. why? Or Tom York, comma, Radiohead, yeah. Why would that be so legally, editorially? What's happening here? Is it because... Because it was only his idea to make it bad, and the other ones <laughs> in, the, in the band were like, no. Yeah, but that way, the... Okay, I, this is something that interests me a lot, and anyone <laughs> who's into music business aspects. Radiohead are very well known amongst financiers for starting up companies when they release a new album. It's basically a technique to maybe not have to pay so many mm. taxes with their with their main company, which is Radiohead. Right, that that I imagine is registered as some sort of company, but with every album that, like the a moon-shaped pool, they started an album which I think was uh, a, a new brand called Dawn Chorus. Obviously, these guys have studied in Oxford and they know a lot about how to work in fi work finances in a way that is not it, it's not unethical, but it's also a, a, a clever way of of not getting so taxed. I don't know. I'd like someone to explain it to me as if I am a child, as <laughs> if I am. A dummy, which I am, when it comes to these kind of things, because it's interesting. You know, some people just form companies and anything, anything. So uh, maybe that is why it's like Tom York is one company, Radiohead is another company, and since well, maybe it's a way of getting more earnings or ah, interesting. I don't know. It just it just annoyed me to be honest. I know, I know, but I do. But you can tell, can't I you? <laughs> but I like the fact it's like Tom York. Everything he does is usually super serious and, and, and he chooses his charities very well and he's always trying to bring um, uh, advocate for against uh, imperialism and capitalism and blah, 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 even though he sets up all these companies to work the financial system. But if he, if he has made this collaboration, it's because he's very close to Jun uh, Takahashi, I imagine. You know, and it, it's always fun to collaborate with an artist who's who's very thorough, who shares the same artistic values. So I do, 
I do like this this really slowed down version. Plus, I'm a fan of the slowed down sound. I've got a slowed down version of Wham's Last Christmas that lasts longer than 30 minutes and it's my go-to song when I want an afternoon nap. It's really hazy, it's really beautiful, ambient. It's almost like a finesse track. This, what stands out about Creep is the lyrics, right? One thing I got tired of in the 90s were all these guys posing as like, oh, I'm such a creep. You know, it was a slacker pose of, I hate myself, I want to die, you know, famously said by Kurt Cobain. It's always like being self-deprecating and, and yeah, it's an angle. But then what I never knew until I researched this is what Tom York said about the song, right? Which in, back in 1993, he told um, the Boston Globe, he said about the lyrics, I'm quoting, I have a real problem being a man in the 90s. Any man with any sensitivity or conscience toward the opposite sex would have a problem. To actually assert yourself in a masculine way without looking like you're in a hard rock band is a very difficult thing to do. It comes back to the music we write which is not effeminate, but it's not brutal in its arrogance. It is one of the things I'm always trying, to assert a sexual persona and on the other hand, trying desperately to negate it. I thought that was a very interesting thing to say about Creep and it makes it even all the more uh, relatable in this day and age when we are constantly um, analyzing you know what what toxic mascul mas toxic masculinity is and how we need more anthems from bands that are so loved by macho audiences like Radiohead even though Radiohead is universally loved and, and accepted and and they've always stood for things that are beyond experimenting with glitch and, and singing about world weariness you know it's also they also write very personal love songs in a way I, I love I love Creep and I love Radiohead I just don't like this slowed down version but I, I'm prepared to accept I am in the minority here <laughs> but, just, yes listen to a bit of yeah. it yeah So, you know, it's a little bit of a phone-in. I mean, you don't really have to put much work. It's like, hey, I really need something. It's like, oh, if I slow this down, that's nine minutes. You know, that's all you need for your little fashion show. But fashion shows are great places to hear music. Fashion shows aren't great places to hear music. I Discuss. Right. Okay. Sorry. I'm getting a bit on my high Yes, yes. <laughs> um, often, fashion shows, like... I've, like, I've got no nothing well I do have something slightly against the fashion industry but um, like you know uh, musicians working with it is, is, is absolutely fine but a lot of the time what comes out is absolute trash right you know uh, oh my no, god no 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 <laughs> just yes, yes, to good. you <laughs> you know you know I have always going on about Daft Punk for example yeah well like they did something for a Saint Laurent uh fashion show yes. uh, in 2013 which was this edit of a, a song by uh, Junior Kimbra which was like this this blues track uh, I Gotta Try You Girl and it was so dull it was just like they, they just edited like took the main bit just stretched out forever and ever and ever and it's just like wh why doesn't this work why you know there just seems to be like some kind of <sighs> disconnect you know like I mean like musicians doing fashion brands 
good. But like, there seems to be something about like, when you ask a musician to do like something for their fashion show, it just doesn't work. And like the idea of like someone DJing on a fashion show, you're, like yeah. visible, it's like, oh god, it makes my skin creep. It really does. Well, it reminds me of Zoolander. Relax. If you've seen the movie, you'll get it. But <laughs> Hedy Slimane, who was the creative director for Dior in in the glorious decade of the 2000s, you know, he famously turned runways into rock shows uh, without actually having bands playing but channeling the spirit of rock and black leather through his silhouettes and accompanying photo spreads he commissioned a soundtrack from phoenix daft punk's best friends for one of his dior shows in 2005 and i agree with you ben it is not exciting at all <laughs> it is it is it's a nine minute kind of hip-hop beat and they're kind of jamming on it when it has sort of phoenix touches like Phoenix alphabet era touches, not Phoenix beyond uh, uh, Wolfgang. I mean, no, it was, it's never been like that, which is for me when they entered their imperial phase. It was that Phoenix, which they were very cool. And obviously for a Parisian band like Daft Punk or Phoenix to soundtrack Haute Couture, it is it is a distinguishable honor. It's it's part of their DNA. It's 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 like a, it's it's on the bucket list. You have to play the Glastonbury. You have to play CBGBs. You have to play in Tokyo. You have to play. I don't know. There's all these things that I imagine a band would like to dream of. But if you are French, especially Parisian, you have to soundtrack a fashion show. But uh, the, the the result is that it doesn't matter. You know, there's there's photos. There's <laughs> they, they they were part of that kind of Hedy Slimane disheveled uh, rocker look. And uh, do you, yeah, do you remember a band called the Paddingtons? Yes. Oh yeah, they were they were very much loved by Hedy Slimane. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised by that. All but all of those bands were dressed by Hedy, or you know, he'd send them clothes. He'd take he'd use that. He'd take photos of their gigs, and he'd incorporate that into the mood boards of Dior Homme and that became so massive every fashion brand was copying that aesthetic everyone was making skinny jeans everyone was taking pictures of guys with dirty hair in black and white and uh, that kind of uh, shooting uh, photo shoots in nice sunny LA spots but in black and white it was all Hedy Slimane his impact in pop culture was was eternal and it helped sell millions of jeans and fabrics and and you know, I was a, I was a big fan of of, of what he was doing. Um, but they were god awful, yeah. the Paddingtons. The Paddingtons <laughs> were shit. All, all, all those, all loads of those bands that were championed by Hedy Slimane and that kind of fashion rock of the uh, the mid two thousands. Loads of them. You can't even remember any of them. But that was what was cool about him is that he would go back and forth on the Eurostar from Paris to London. He would just watch any shitty band that featured in enemies like uh, new bands to listen to, and he would give them a. Pair of jeans put them in a shirt take his beautiful black and white pictures at the shows and he gave them a moment in pop culture but sometimes it's like the paddingtons really i mean the other no the others i don't know if they were on his yeah the others yeah yeah, yeah. then carl lagerfeld copied him and got metronomy on board and he started dressing metronomy up and they got you know and, and there was a famous uh, anecdote that, that they told us was that on a photo shoot with you know the grand uh, Karl Lagerfeld, the Kaiser, with metronomy, he uh, they were supposed to take pictures, and uh, the the shirts didn't fit the singer because he'd gotten a bit you know uh, yeah he'd he'd had a few bacon sarnies that summer, so. Uh, they actually had to lend him Karl Lagerfeld's shirt because Karl mm-hmm. Lagerfeld they had the same size as him, and it's like, wow, you got to wear a shirt worn by this fashion mastermind for this photo shoot, and you're just a well, you're just a no, you're Metronomy, who are playing Primavera Sound 2022, mm-hmm. another one of those bands that can be rescued from that era. Ma, what do you think? 
I think that from what you said, you both said, um, what doesn't work is making a song specifically for a show, but bands and brands mm -hmm. working to together is like um, super important. And, and I think it's, it makes total sense that music and fashion go hand in hand and, and we have to exploit that it's super good for the brand and it's super good for the musician if they make sense together. And and for example, I, I was thinking about the Louis Vuitton show last year, well, not last year, I don't know, a couple of years ago with the Sophie visual behind and it was um, amazing. And, and I don't think Sophie did anything especially for the show like they just took um, the music and the visuals from the album ah. and to make like the runway um, thing and it was so beautiful and uh, it worked amazingly and I have that show like in my memory stuck in my memory and, and it, they didn't do anything special they didn't have Sophie DJing there or at least not that I remember but it was like the visual part and yeah. for example Louis Vuitton is super good at doing that because last week they they had BTS walking for the Louis Vuitton with oh. Virgil Abloh thing oh. and it also like it, it looks super cool you have um the engagement from the people who like BTS and, and people who like... Which is like half the world, yeah, yeah. half the planet. Literally, yeah, yeah. because one, one of the, <laughs> I think the most um, reposted um, picture they have on, on their Instagram is something related to BTS, so they know it works. Um, but it, it also like, they, they match the energy, like I... I don't know, I'm not the biggest fan of what Louis Vuitton is and, and their image, but when going together with BTS and them dressing them up, I, I don't know, it makes a lot of sense and it makes me, I don't know, I watched it and, and it's it works and I really enjoy seeing when brands connect to an artist like Versace now is super with um, Dua Lipa and everything she, uh -huh. she's wearing is vers basically Versace and it totally makes sense and Dua Lipa is super known for her style, so... I, I love the uh, this idea of a muse or or a muse as a um, band or whoever and and the other artist that works in fashion working together and making a, a great team and I I really enjoy seeing this from decades and decades and, and going on still. Well, it, it I think fa these fashion collaborations can help bands transcend and become. Uh, even better regarded and and you become you become synonymous with a, a key moment in in time right and well just like tyler for instance mm -hmm. no tyler the creator his dominance with youth culture it's 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 rooted in his music and his beat making he started from nothing and boom 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 but then he's given a he's given us a new way to dress like the new style of now dressing like an old yayo in retired in miami the bucket hat the cardigans the 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 polo the golf the golf wear the golf has in the sport and not just the, his brand it, that's how all the kids are dressing right now mm -hmm. and it's good because they help shape uh, the way yeah, young people look all over the world it's a fun thing it's interesting it's you know you put your headphones on you've got your fresh Lacoste polo on you're walking listening to um, Igor or whatever and you just feel good it's an easy way to endorse some happiness through fashion and music <laughs> but yeah you mentioned Versace I was thinking look at Armani how that broke out thanks to a movie like American 
gigolo with Richard Gere and everyone understood that's how you wear it. You know, you, you've got your incredible hi-fi system at home and you've got your grey double-breasted Armani suit in light cottons. And this program feels like we're skipping through a fashion magazine. We're talking about <laughs> Hedy Slimane and Daft Punk and all of a sudden Tom York with Jun Takahashi. And yes, I'm getting all excited. I feel like wearing some suits now and picking up a guitar. Do you ever, ever listen to, to Tyler? To, to have some yeah. ha- happier, happier moments. Totally created with What's So You Name. Oh, you look malnourished. Let's get some bread, fried an egg, yo, you're drowning in syrup. You pick a spot, I pick a tail number, and we could be tourists. Let's go to Cannes and watch a couple indie movies that you never heard of. Listen to bands, we when we dance, disco in France. Smell some perfume, head in the wind. We can switch off, I can show you how you can really exfoliate skin. If you got a man, you should cut it off. Get your passport, cause we run it off. We can sit and talk, you can tell me everything that's on your chest, baby, get it off. You are listening, you are listening to, to Radio RPS. Too many bottles of this wine we can't pronounce. Too many bowls of that green, no lucky charms. The maids come around too much. Parents ain't around enough. You're listening to Tyler's other BFF, Frank Ocean, with his anthem, Super Rich Kids, a song to listen while you're driving with the dr- top dropped uh, down L.A. in black and white photos taken by Hedy Slimane. And we're listening to this because Mar is going to tell us about the Gossip Girl reboot, another series where <laughs> yes. everyone dresses fabulously and stylishly. It's a fashion show today, <laughs> totally is. Um, but it is my duty to talk about Gossip Girl because I don't want to call myself the biggest Gossip Girl fan there is or the biggest expert there is because that's a huge title. But have you read all the original books by mega mind author Cecily Bond? and watched the show since it first aired in Spain in Cuatro in 2009 and then discovered how to illegally watch it online because you couldn't wait a whole week for each episode. So you got up <laughs> with the season that was airing on the States and basically forced yourself to learn English to keep up with it whenever there were no subtitles available. Is that why your English is so good? Thanks to Gossip Girl? Oh my God. Gossip Girl. Thanks, Gossip Girl. It wasn't that trip to Australia. It was actually Gossip Girl. I was like 11, 12, uh, forcing myself to to understand English because I couldn't just pause and read the subtitles every five seconds. So I was like, come on, girl. Let's get it. Let's get it going. We have to keep up with the show. I, I, I was crazy insane something was off and my parents just said, yeah, whatever. Go to the internet and watch You really this. are a cosmic girl. Vamos allá. <laughs> So I would say I'm quite familiar with the show and that means I have a couple opinions um, <laughs> and hot takes and a few bonds to pick with the reboot that is finally here and that has aired this week. Not in Spain because um, ah. it's always late in Spain but we know that's not something that will stop me from watching Gossip Girl so I, I already have watched it and... And? and? And I, I want the hottest take. Wait, wait, wait. The hottest. And, and have, you, what, have you binged the... Uh, no, whatever? just one out. Yet. One episode. Yeah. Well, we'll have to wait. Okay, okay. Not the whole thing. Uh, Yeah, I think they they are putting it week by week, but But I'm not sure yet. When you say it's a reboot, is it a continuation of different characters in the same city, same school, or...? Yeah, it's the same, well, same universe. Like, they know the previous, well, mm, characters existed, but they are 
like living in 2021 so they're kind of old like oh they used a blog oh my god it's so old now we're using instagram who uses ah. a blog oh my god johan that makes me a bit nervous <laughs> oh yeah so so because initially right for those of us who are still a bit ignorant with what gossip girl was mm -hmm. the narrator was someone who wrote her blog and was gossiping yeah about gossip girl the thing is it was a um a As someone that we didn't know that wrote about the lives of a students of a private, very elitist um, school in New York, in the Upper East Side, yeah. and and how that developed. They all had a lot of all this drama, and and well, it was amazing. But the the thing was um, an elite school in New York City, in yeah. the Upper East Side, yeah, but and the kids that grew up there. And what I mean is, if before it was blogging, now how does the narrator? Now the narrator has an Instagram. <gasps> Uh, and so, does she post text or is it is the voiceover uh, stories? No, it no no no. She doesn't oh, show her yeah, she, her she voice. Anonymous. Um, it's the caption that you re read the on caption. the on the post. <gasps> So, so it's caption caption narration. Yeah. So the idea is good, and and I I'm I was totally here for the a reboot of Gossip Girl. The the only thing I know in my in my life, but that before the show um, premiered um, this week. And there were a lot of interviews, and and we've been know that this was happening, and and the producer said in an interview, and here's where where the hot take is. Well, it's not a hot take because everyone agrees and everyone has the same opinion. But <laughs> let's see what he said. Um, these kids wrestle with their privilege in a way that I think the original cast didn't. In a, in a, in light of Black Lives Matter, in light of a lot of things, even going back to Occupy Wall Street, things have shifted. Okay. And I've seen articles on the same topic, like talking about how the show had a diversity problem uh -huh. and how the reboot will try to, to fix that and blah, blah, blah. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but one thing that Michael Moore said a long time ago about Friends, the series, when, mm -hmm. when they were being criticized for the lack of racial diversity, Michael Moore, who's been a strong activist for all kinds of equalitarian um, uh, purposes, he said, Friends is actually a real show because you do not know white people like that who have black friends or, or friends of other races you know that is the reality people who can afford to live in New York and spend half their day in a coffee shop uh, tend to be um, of a certain race and you don't see other races mix which I thought he's got a point sorry continue yeah and, and that's where my point is going basically because obviously class consciousness diversity privilege you name it are super important topics and when it comes to writing a show and producing a show Um, having all the social issues um, that are going on is super important. Um, but my question here is, have they even watched Gossip Girl? Because it literally was a commentary on how privileged, obliviously, obviously toxic, the white elite can be. Uh -huh. So it, it, the, the, the whole point of the show basically was a, a satire of these rich people's behaviors. Uh -huh. So... Of course, there's gonna be a diversity issue on the cast because it literally is a representation of what the elite on the Upper East Side is, is and looks like, which is white. And obviously, like the problem is not a diversity issue on the Gossip Girl cast, but on the real world, like which means that there's a racism issue on on the elitist class of New York City and on the states, I guess, and everywhere. Yeah. Um, so it, the original cast was actually perfect to represent how white and exclusionary the environment of these mega expensive private schools ca can be, and and that was um, uh, amazing, and and they did it fantastically. So yeah, but but. 
Uh, I haven't watched Gossip Girl. Sorry, but is, is that? But does everybody kind of know that? I mean, is that like the, the sort of the accepted thing? That's not just like yeah. your interpretation. That, that's like what it was about. The, it was a. It was evil kids. Like right. they did evil things, and they were super rich, and they were bitchy. N- yeah, never aware of their privileges. Always um, spending absurd amounts of money and having lots of of stuff and and going. In a limousine to school. People like, who cry because the private Learjet doesn't have a Wi-Fi connection or something yeah, like that. Yeah, basically. No? <laughs> so uh, it doesn't make sense. Uh, now making all these rich, evil kids diverse and socially conscious is missing the whole point of, of, of the of the show and, and missing the, the the criticism of of the of racism the of of that's still very much real there's a yeah. lot of articles go, um, that you can read of how this is a real issue happening on on these elite schools uh, uh-huh. the racism and and i i don't know i don't want i cannot imagine like them talking about i don't well i, I do want them to talk about black lives matter in a sense but i this is not what the show is about like they they're supposed to be so oblivious and so privileged that this never gets to them and and you see how different realities these rich evil people live on and and if they start talking about this and still having all all this money and being the richest persons is people it's it's like i don't know even it's almost more condescending to put in um, mixed race characters as if oh yeah yeah this is totally normal that in a classroom there's like a 30% attendance of of children Mm -hmm. who who, you know come from um, you know mixed races or different races than than Caucasian Have, have they ruined it then? Yeah, because the thing, I understand what they were going for because it's 2021, we're all woke and (laughs) and we have, I, I love how a lot of shows that I don't know if a sitcom was to come out today, it wouldn't have the homophobic jokes or misogynistic jokes that you stumble across when you watch old sitcoms oh, and yes. it makes you cringe a cringe. little bit inside. Um, it doesn't happen anymore, so I love that. But when you're making this type, it doesn't mean that we cannot criticize from the bad point of view. Like we're putting the point of view on the bad people. We're not making the bad people good because we're woke. Because that doesn't make sense at all like I was thinking and you kind of mentioned Bridgertons and Bridgertons um, ha- has the main ca- well the main character is is like a black aristocrat and it's like oh that that's not very so um, uh, that's not very his- realistic historically no, accurate ac- exactly it's not historical <laughs> accurate but um, it's kind of in a fantasy world yeah. like it doesn't mean to be um, historical accurate uh-huh. uh, in, in that sense but uh, and that's why I love it. I love, for example, in 1997 or something like that, they did a, a Cinderella version in which all the characters were black. Um, I think it was on Broadway on the stage. So uh-huh. it was kind of it's kind of a fantasy world in which yeah. the the characters can be whatever they want, and and it doesn't have to have a, a I don't know. A, segregation and stuff and uh, make Uh all them white because aristocracy is is white basically but if you're making a show that is based on a very much real context which is New York today you should take in mind that how is New York today and and the the people that you're focusing on which is these rich kids that go on private schools and how they behave and I know that we all are aware of these things, but are they aware of these things? And should they be aware of these things in your show? Because then it's it's making it seem like as if everything is kind of good and, and no one is 
too evil and and that was the whole appeal of of Gothic well there were characters that were strictly bad just they didn't have morals at all and that was amazing but i want to know one thing evan mock is his acting any good as good as his skateboarding having said that <laughs> having said all of that i'm gonna say the review of the first episode i just i watched and if we take apart everything i just said all the run I loved it. I loved this reboot. I loved the whole 59 seconds, I seconds, minutes of it. Uh, obviously, I'm not trying to compare it. Obviously, there's things that are missing and, and blah, blah, blah. Because those are big shoes to fill. I mean, Leighton Meester, uh, Blake Lively, yeah. uh, Padge, Penn Badgley. What's the other guy who's doing uh, startup now? Um, good looking. Well, anyway, all those actors, yeah. you know, you, you after how many seasons? You, you, you know, they become a part of your life. And all of a sudden, when the new cast has to fill in those shoes you got that did you have a little bit of tira y afloja with, no because it, it was i was trying to think as it as if two different things and and they are two different things so but how they have the perfect ingredients to make a great show like the cast like you said they're all so freaking hot every <laughs> single one of them like i already knew i already saw the pictures that of them recording for months and stuff but oh my god They're the hottest people I've ever seen in my life. The outfits, they all dress so well. The fashion is, is to die for. In, and it was a very huge part of, of the original um, show. So the fashion's still there. So I'm so happy about it. Yeah. The drama from the first episode, it's also there. And then it, you, it keeps you hooked. The, the, well, I want to see more. The soundtrack is also amazing. Um, it, it has Super Rich Kids. It has Rosalia. It has uh, Mariana Grande. It has everything you want in Gossip Girl. Uh-huh. And... Finally, something that I feel I didn't ask for, but I got anyway, is Tabby Gibbonson playing a cringy millennial. Oh, so, no! <laughs> yeah. What does she do? Why, why is it so she cringy? What? is the cringy um, teacher that the... Oh, the teacher! Kid, she's not even a student anymore. She's, she's the old person. How old oh is she? she? She was only 13 when... I don't know. That's what I thought. Ago. Is Tabby that old I, don't, I I felt it she was the age of the students but no she plays wow. like the teachers the rich kids step on because the teachers are like the low part yeah. of the school because the, the they're kids working have, class <laughs> exactly the kids have the power over them um, to fire them yeah. through their parents and stuff Ooh. and and she's like this cringy like um, millennial teacher, teacher. Yeah, she's she, 25 Oh my and God. she is the te- I, well yeah you can teach her high school I bet she's the same age basically as the people that play the the, the students but <laughs> <laughs> she plays the cringy millennial and I love that for her well I don't know if I do but I, I was not expecting her character to be this you know, and I I love it I will absolutely be but watching you know that's gonna like get so many crises in people I'm sure Tavi herself is very amused by the whole thing but there are gonna be people who are like hang on hang on but like I'm the same age as her does that mean I'm old They're like oh crap that's gonna be an absolute this is gonna be a I just felt old realizing that she plays a teacher and it. it's like oh. I, I used to follow Tavi when she was the 13 year old fashion blogger and I thought she was a fascinating you know the way she dressed like an old grandma but with her large glasses mm-hmm. now I saw her in a Vogue uh, spreadsheet and she's like dressing like her age and sort of looking attractive I was like ah, I kind of miss the quirky eccentric um, fashion yeah. imaginarium she but has here's, a, 
here's a question. Do like people of me and Johan's age, do we have like any kind of role at all in gossip? Oh, girl, no. Like, the reboot, or no. Not even like cops or politicians. <laughs> no. like, Come on, go. Even like seized on the world of Gossip Girl. I would be the teacher. I'm 24, so I would be more. <laughs> so imagine you, you're not there. But you no, know, like the grandparent. I don't know. It could be anything. Is there know? a janitor in the Gossip Girl Academy? Is, is there yeah, like. I would do that. I'd do that happily, you know. The, is there isn't there a, like a then, black janitor or something which which has little condescending walk-in roles like hey guys make sure you behave Wait, isn't there, who's that Scottish janitor in The Simpsons I could be him <laughs> Willie <laughs> give me a role please. I'll keep you updated if they appear okay if they don't appear so um, you find representation on Gossip Girl exactly. oh my god Willie <laughs> I got the Willie Nillies but yes but you didn't answer my question Evan Mock is he convincing as an actor I don't know. They were all so hot. I uh, couldn't focus. <laughs> he made you sweat. That's good, that's good enough. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, she, she mentioned Rosalia. Rosalia? Yeah. Let's Rosalia? listen to it. Right. Yes, Rosalia, once again, she's definitely made it. I mean, she's made every time she releases something, she's made it. The fact that she is featured on a Gossip Girl soundtrack mm-hmm. is another sign, just like being Parisian and soundtracking a Dior fashion show. Uh, if you're Rosalia, I imagine you've got your little bucket list of things. Having your song on Gossip Girl is one hell of an honor. You know, it's a show she watches, I'm sure. Um, but speaking about this whole thing of this uh, woke tradition of uh, having every race represented in the cast and, and uh, every Every story you write, you know, if there's an ensemble cast, there, you know, you have to tick all these boxes. I recently watched the uh, last weekend. I watched this uh, woke Gen Z teen murder mystery movie called Knives and Skin. It's on stream Spanish streaming platform Filmin, directed by Jennifer Reeder, featuring a su- soundtrack composed by Yeah Yeah Yeah's guitarist Nick Zinner. Uh, it's a film that arty teens and twenty-somethings will embrace, but elder critics. I think are detesting because they cannot identify with the new film codes, like this whole multiracial representation that doesn't really mirror reality, right? It's like, really? Am I to believe that a small Midwestern town that is is kind of, and we don't know which town, but it's like a small, like, it's going to be so mixed and it's going to be so balanced. But alas, film is supposed to benefit from suspended disbelief. This is the story of a disappearing teenage girl and the effect it has on this small community. What's different is that the disappearance is just an excuse to invite the viewer into this suburban town where many characters interact in a low-key surreal tone where some things get a bit uh, or are a bit wonky. Does this remind you of a very iconic cult television series about a murder mystery involving a high school student? It very much does. It very much does. Twin Peaks all it, over it, right? It's Twin Peaks. It's basically, that's every everything you read about it. It's like it's Twin Peaks mixed with a bit of Donnie Darko. Uh, but it isn't totally condescending on the teenagers. Even though it's not a film that's just aid, uh, aimed at a young audience, uh, I can understand that if I would have seen this film when I was 17, it would have probably been my favorite film for a long time. But I had my reserves. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's a film that, among many things, it deals with sexual consent, depicting various scenes of intimate encounters with men of different ages that will surely resonate with most women. So it's a very good attack on, on or it's a good way of, of talking about that in a, in a fresh way. Now, 
The reason I think it won't be appreciated with people of a certain age. Aha, this is it's not even a rant, it's just something I wrote. <laughs> I remember briefly being a teenage film student and all our teachers being strongly against style over substance in film, what they called effectism. They argued that every shot in a film must contribute to storytelling and that we should study John Ford and Billy Wilder for it. But at 17 years of age, I was interested in Danny Boyle's Train Spotting, Gus Van Sant's My Own Private Idaho, everything by David Lynch, and later on, Spike Jones, Michel Gondry, Jonathan Glazer, Floria Sigismondi, what we knew then as video clip film directors, or film directors who came from working a lot in video clips, and also who came from careers in advertising, where they honed the craft of filming the most elaborate, beautiful images with no narrative. It was about creating moods, worlds. John Ford never had the experience of of shooting an executive car brand or making mobile phones appealing to the youth. I belong to a generation of people who watched as many video clips on MTV as films. So appetite, our appetite for aestheticized visuals within a film needed to be satiated. And 90s indie cinema was booming, blooming with directors who could afford a few experimentalisms with their stories. Done right, it could get standing ovations at Cannes. Done wrong, it feels like a waste of our time. And that is probably why elder film critics and film teachers detest effectism. They feel like their precious time has been wasted, which is a capital sin when you reach a certain age. Just like an elongated version of Creep. Just like when I'm searching for songs for a DJ set or something specific and I have to jump ambient intros. In my 20s, I loved ambient intros. Instrumental breaks in the middle of an album like Tree Fingers from Kid A. Now I cherish the three-minute pop song that gets to the point or long neoclassical suites that can help me sleep and keep the demons from knocking at my door. Ah. Oh yeah, that film that I just mentioned, uh, Knives and Skin, it, it, it also has a very interesting thing with the soundtrack where the, some of the students are singing a cappella, like 80s versions. I'm not sure if they sing modern English as I melt with you, but... They the do, apparently, according to my uh, internet research. Ah, it's because they sing it so slow and in different keys that it's like, oh, what's this song? Well, it's, very, it's very well done. It, it uses a few tricks that have been used before, like this whole thing of, well, you know, like slowing down a song or singing it in, in a choir version, but it still works. It still works. And at least there was no ukulele to be found. <laughs> anyway, next song, Andre, as we usher out today's show. To end today's show, we keep reminding you of our picks from Primavera Sound 2022's lineup. And today, my pick has to do with Nick Zinner, who signs the soundtrack to uh, Knives and Skin. Normally, we pick out the smaller names from the lineup, but I feel many young people may not have witnessed the spectacle and grandeur of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. When the new rock revolution exploded on the back of the strokes, is this it? There were plenty of sweaty boys in bands wearing skinny jeans sent to them by Hedis Lemayne from Paris and drawing inspiration from new wave punk bands from the late 70s and early 80s. But none of all those bands had that soundtrack. The 2000s had such a trailblazing tornado of a performer that is Karen O. Well, 
So devoted was she to getting the audience jumping from start to finish, she even had a bad fall off stage once and had to continue performing in a wheelchair that summer on all her festival appearances. Her neon lit stylings, made by her designer friend Christian Joy, stood her out as a fashion icon up until this day. She mixed the raw punk energy of the Riot Girl movement with the kind of no-wave shenanigans of the early er, New York 80s. By her side, by her side stood eternal goth teenager Nick Zinner, who was inventive with the pedals and created walls of sound that made it feel like you were at the prima, uh, Primal Scream gig when Kevin Shields was a touring guitarist. Keeping things balanced and in good steed is drummer Brian Chase. This was a band of two musicians and an incredible front one woman that made a hell of a racket and they also made a string of very solid albums that bridged art punk with pop. Fever to Tell was a messy debut full of charm that captured the essence of their live shows and has stood the test of time thanks to Maps, the song every indie girl wanted played at her wedding during the past decade. And uh, that is all I have time to say. I want to listen to a bit more of this. Do you do you, do you like the Yeah Yeah Yeahs? Yeah, I saw them in concert about 20 years ago for some of that and they were excellent. Yeah, I love that she, she like Karen O came on stage wearing this kind of weird like Egyptian get get up, which I thought was absolutely fabulous. She never repeated an outfit. I think Mar, were you aware of Karen O? Did you have her plastered all over her your, your Tumblr? I I was thinking how I did not hear to this <gasps> band while I had a Tumblr. No. Yeah, I think I have to give my Tumblr badge back. You have to tattoo <laughs> Karen O on on your back. <laughs> well, make sure you study up on Karen O and yeah, yeah, yes. And that is all we had time for on this week's episode of the Weekly Review. Thank you for listening. My winner's out of control.